Welcome to Resilient Waters, Healing in the 10,000 Lakes. I'm Amy, let's get connected. Today, I have a great guest for you. I want to welcome Terry Jorsted, marriage and family therapist to this episode. Terry and I work in the same office at Northwinds Counseling Services in Rogers, Minnesota. She has been there for 11 years. Her marriage and family licensure is a family systems approach to therapy and focuses on effects of relationship interaction over individual psychology approaches. Her special area of clinical focus include how executive functioning is impacted similar by trauma history, anxiety and depression diagnoses, along with developmental diagnoses like ADHD and autism and childhood emotional neglect. Executive functioning is at the heart of change, and Terry works with her clients on body integration so that cognitive work is possible. She uses a lot of science psychoeducation to inform her clients about different techniques to make sure that clients have informed consent before starting any treatment. Terry knows that boundaries are huge, and people should know what they're saying yes to in treatment. Clients are able to integrate therapy into their lives better if they understand and believe in the treatments that they are doing. Terry, I absolutely love all the things that you talk about. And if I can just say for people listening, I I have referred many clients to you, Terry, over the years. Mm -hmm. And I always tell people, if you are looking for someone who can bring a calming presence to therapy, who's very grounded and can kind of create that type of energy for you, you need to see Terry. Awesome. <laughs> Terry is so <laughs> wonderful at that. In fact, I can, I can attest to that too, just working with Terry over the years whenever I see her in between sessions or we get to hang out ever. Terry's just great at grounding, great at helping kind of bring everything back to this very nice, beautiful energy. So tell me a little bit more. <laughs> tell, tell the audience a little bit more, Terry, about how you came to therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I got my undergrad in sociology, so I was always very interested in interaction and, um, and observing. Um, what does it mean to, you know, what does it all mean? What's going on? How do we make sense of it all? I think that's the biggest um, thing that I try, or the reason I became a therapist is because I didn't feel like I, I feel like it took a long time to figure out myself. And I wanted to be able to support others in getting closer or further along with their own self-knowledge and integration. Um, sooner right and and be a resource for that so yes that is that is essentially why i became a therapist (laughs) so essentially you did the work first and then said hey let's share this with everybody because there's something to this yeah what's really interesting though is um i I still do believe we're always all doing the work um and, and, you know, yeah, I decided to become a therapist and I finished my graduate program. Um, I had just started to have children, but truly my, um, my clinical focus developed through my own development, my own yeah. development as a parent. Um, I participated in early childhood family education classes because I realized after having children, I really didn't know much about parenting. I really felt unsure about how to 
you know, what, what did I just get myself into? I didn't feel like I knew much. And so I used the resources that are provided by ECFE. Um, Let's talk a little bit about that gem yeah. because how many people just are not aware that their community has this very rich resource? I think people are scared and, and intimidated yeah. when they first have kids and they, they're just like, oh, well, that's, you know, for a certain population or maybe, mm -hmm. you know, this or that. But I, I know I when you told me about it yeah. and I was like, oh, that's right. That is a really cool resource. And I remember taking my son who is now four, but yeah. it's such a beautiful place to be able to go meet other parents, talk yeah. about specific challenges that just kids have. Be vulnerable in a safe be place. It mm -hmm. is. It is such a safe place. I yeah. love all the, the workers for the ECFE community. It's, it's wonderful. Thank you for bringing yeah. that little gem up. I, I sometimes forget to, to bring it to people. I uh, still integrate it um, into all of my practice, honestly. Um, understanding temperament, right? Yes. One, you know, many, one of the belief uh, systems is that temperament is persistent across an entire lifetime. I am one of those believers. I know some don't agree, but I am one of those believers. And so I also, you know, when I was learning about temperament and figuring out my own and working with understanding my kids' temperament and, and you know, the whole developmental psychology of goodness of fit, right? If you're not the right fit for your kid, you know, how do you still be nurturing and provide what they need to, you know, work with their temperament? Um, because our temperaments, you know, equal different needs. And each one that <laughs> comes from us is different. Each child is so different. We, and, yes. you know, we can be similar to our children. We can be opposite to our children. And wouldn't you know that too similar, too different equals power struggles. And, you know, we struggle a little bit more. So I was able, while I was learning that about my own family, I saw how it also uh, worked really well with couples, honestly. Oh, um, yes. You know, because couples, adults are still the little children, you know. Uh, they were children once, they, uh, and, but they're still, you know, dealing with their own temperamental stuff that can affect relationships. So that's where I first started to integrate what I learned from ECFE into my clinical focus when I was working with couples um, when I was a younger and had a young family. Uh, and then also I'm deeply rooted and will forever be deeply rooted in developmental psychology because we are mm -hmm. always making connections back. Now that you know our world is becoming a lot more focused on trauma and understanding trauma, our understanding of developmental psychology and the things that go wrong or the needs that don't get met right yes that that informs uh pictures here and now for a lot of people and what yes. they perform and what they act out now has a lot to do with what happened then so i yes. i integrate that quite a bit as well yes i always tell people you know our brains are growing through that time and so everybody's brains grow a little bit differently depending on the experiences that we do or don't get. Mm -hmm. And so we need to understand that at the time of when it happened to get that snapshot of where your brain was and then how it grew. We're all very unique yeah. and different and that's great. And to understand yourself, we do need to understand developmental psychology. Mm -hmm. It's so factual yeah. base and yeah. so important so, uh, yeah we can have hours of talk I on know. this can't we Terry? i think we already <laughs> well, do <laughs> i think and if people don't have an understanding of it 
I think it also leads to a lot of self-criticism or the criticism of others, judgments, yes. and we need to also be careful and conscious of that. Most of the people I work with a large, you know, large amount have a very hard time being gentle with themselves. And yes. like you say, have this frame of understanding themselves and reasons, you know, like, okay, if I wasn't in charge of all of that when I was a child, how do I allow myself to be gentle with that now? You know, I wasn't in charge then, but I am in charge now. So how do I be gentle with those parts of me that, you know, might still be acting stuff out and, and, uh, but also hold myself accountable as an adult, right? To yes. do the work now and get to living the kind of life that I want to live. Yes. I know anyone who's listening to these podcasts will hear some of this language come out a lot as as us mental health um, providers talk, this this parts talk, like part of me feels yeah. this way, part of me feels that way. And I think sometimes that language can be hard um, when you're first kind of exploring parts of yourself because um, it feels very like that language is so strange. It's not normal language, but I mm -hmm. love being able to talk with you and other providers about how useful that way of thinking can be because yeah, like sometimes I feel this way and sometimes I feel this way. Sometimes they really actually clash inside. I have these internal conflicts. So when we talk about parts, we don't have to think about it in a, you know, like I'll say like a Hollywood way, mm -hmm. um, but we can think about it in like, I am a lot of different parts. I am a mm -hmm. lot, there's a lot to mm -hmm. me. I'm complex. And part mm -hmm. of that is that developmental psychology. Yeah because I grew complex mm -hmm. over time. So I just, Absolutely. I love these conversations. Tell me a little bit about um, the populations that you tend to work with. Uh, like what's a good yeah. fit if someone's coming to see Terry? Well, I ended up, um, part of my developmental process was, I, you know, took a little sideways move more toward um, autism spectrum because uh, when my son was about four, he was diagnosed as high functioning autism. So I had to take a deep dive into, you know, understanding what that was, what's, you know, what's, what does it mean? <laughs> what does yeah. it mean for parenting? What does it mean for our lives in balance? All that kind of stuff. Um, so as I shifted some of my focus to that, I did that deep dive into um, understanding executive functions. So uh, yeah. neurological disorders have an impact on our executive function. The theories about autism is it means that things are firing a little different and we have underconnectivity in our area of social functioning in our brain and overconnectivity in other areas. So it m means that, you know, they become be brilliant and, you know, really uh, brilliant in some areas, but socially really struggle because it, you know, the theory is it's less connected, right? Yeah. So, so my, my practice, I've always had kind of an underlying, underlying rhythm of like the body calming, the grounding, mindfulness-based mm -hmm. stress reduction. But when my practice and my, my own personal life and my practice shifted more toward understanding autism and treating autism, um, I had to really explore very alternative ways of body calming and the avenue of you know what they call sensory soothing. So I got to really understand much more, the more of the complexities of our body, of our sensory presentation and how it can differ so much when you have like autism or ADHD or something, any yeah. other neurological disorders. And so deep dive in that and become really good at 
uh, being able to see all different kinds of people and understand out of their senses which ones are dominant and how can we use that knowledge to uh, find uh, sensory soothing tools. So yeah. if you're visual, you might have to do a lot of visualization because that might be a dominant sense or one of the things about sensory soothing and kind of integration processes in our bodies is that when we fire multiple senses at the same time, it tends to command our focus in our brain and it can allow us to relax. So, you know, if you are envisioning that you're, you know, uh, or you're ever like on a roller coaster or something and you might think, wow, um, I was just totally exhilarated and overwhelmed by the physical sensation of this and I didn't think, right? Well, mm -hmm. That, that's, that can be really good sensory soothing for people. It can really calm their bodies or calm their minds to have a break from thinking to engage in something physical and sensory like that. Right. So, yeah, that's, that's a big part of also what I still do with people in, in, you know, as we develop our therapy is help them understand their own uh, body, their own dominance of um, senses, and then what are the sensory soothing tools that are going to help them regulate and body calm to be able to do the cognitive work of therapy. I love it. I love hearing you talk about this because yes, I, I've always referred to you as kind of my, my expert on, you know, neurological disorders like mm -hmm. autism, ADHD, because you have done a lot of work. You have a lot of yeah. tools for them, but it's really fun to hear you talk about that sensory integration and I'm connecting to some of the things that I hear you utilize within therapy that I've heard before, you know, using, you know, different music or tools like that, mm -hmm. or, um, just for that, that sensory calming. I know you've talked about tapping too. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? I, I don't yeah. know if everybody really mm -hmm. knows what that is. Yeah. So my history I've integrated for my own self, my own body, mindfulness based stress reduction and several alternative methods for body calming. Um, EFT is one of those that I think a lot of people think about uh, tapping pressure points, emotional freedom technique. That's essentially what the acronym uh, uh, stands for, and, and this is one of them, okay? This is a karate chop spot. Okay. And um, you're tapping on pressure points, right? Yeah. So the idea of a pressure point in our body is that this is connected somewhere else in our body. Yep. So EFT is about practicing tapping pressure points and the cognitive process is listening on the inside. Is there anywhere mm. in my body that seems to be softening or relaxing in response to this tapping? And so we watch our bodies, you know, physically, cognitive, you know, we're just watching and observing our body. Sometimes we're going to feel a softening or release of a sensation somewhere else. And just that idea of observing the connectivity in our body really relaxes the body because you're, most people are focusing on my voice. Most mm -hmm. people, so we have an auditory stimulation of that sensory, uh, auditory sensory. Then we've also got the physical sensation of tapping. And then we also have the visual of the mind's eye. We can envision our yes. internal body. And, you know, so when I tap here, I have my, my thoughts go to the back of my legs. They're softening and kind of tingling a little bit. And in my mind's eye, I kind of travel there. So we are, we are triggering three senses all at the same time. For a lot of people, it's really powerful and it makes, it can really focus our energy. One of the things 
about integration processes. Um, you know, the research tells us three minutes of belly breathing, right, mm-hmm. is, um, is all it takes to re-regulate fight or flight responses. Um, and so I use that rule of thumb with a lot of other sensory soothing as well. If you're doing yeah. this and you are, you know, uh, focusing and paying attention to all of these senses, chances are you're not having a lot of automatic thought recurring in your mind. You're just focused on this and you're regulating your body. So, oh, I love this. Yeah. This is so awesome. <laughs> I, I think a lot of people are really going to resonate with, okay, I have those re- I have those cyclical thoughts that are coming up. Mm-hmm. What are some ways that I can disrupt this? This yes. is really frustrating, you know, like yeah. I've, there's lots of different ways to do it, but this is such a wonderful get into your body mm-hmm. and, and be grounded in the moment because a lot of times mm-hmm. those cyclical thoughts are either past or future. And so yeah. this is such a great tool. I am not trained in any of this, so this is great for me too. It's fantastic. So it's similar when I went through mindfulness-based stress reduction, which is basically kind of an eight-week course. You go weekly, you do, uh, you practice mindfulness uh, techniques for like three hours, and then you practice it at home in between. I remember being able to observe a physical shift, right, from the start of the process to the end of the process. Uh, taking the position of sitting and just starting to belly breathe, which is in through the nose, bring it all the way down to your belly, pop, you know, your, you fill up your diaphragm and then out and you observe, you observe that physical sensation. It makes an auditory sound. You just do that for three minutes. And um, I don't even have to do it for three minutes. If I take the position, my body responds with calming immediately for my okay. entire life since I did that. 12 years ago. It's, it's That's wonderful. Isn't that fantastic? I, I love how the brain works, right? Like yep. when you practice that and the first mm-hmm. few times, maybe it's a little more difficult, yeah. but once our body knows that state of being, mm-hmm. it just reverts back as soon as we yeah. start doing those things and we can found, use that. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> I found something similar with EFT when I started yeah. that probably like six or seven years ago. Oh, I love it. Now I want to get some EFT done. <laughs> so now I, I <laughs> utilize you. EFT with, uh, you know, so we, we have the integration of, okay, a deep dive into executive function, but then I still have all this history and I work a ton with anxiety and depression disorders because that's yes. where I started and community mental health, serious and persistent mental illness, you know, mm-hmm. that's that was my beginning training process. And so um, one of the things that over the years, you know, we've, we're starting to integrate and our knowledge base is building is, gosh, if it isn't all a neurological disorder, right? Like anxiety is a neurological thing. It disrupts our cognition. It really yeah. changes the wiring of our brain, right? Yeah. Depression yeah. as well. So putting all these pieces <clears throat> together then, um, understanding executive function, the way that it uh, applies to not only the neuroatypical population of autism spectrum ADHD, but now including everything else, and then the similarities and you know between that and uh, trauma, as it, you know, it affects the brain in very similar ways. So, further going further with that executive function focus, mm-hmm. we are now thinking about okay how do we use all of this knowledge in our trauma treatment approaches? And so that's where I I utilize EFT tapping in a process called, 
well, it's a it's a process from I was trained as a family trauma professional. Yep. And in that in that uh, line of thinking, it was using trauma timelines, so an understanding of points in history, um, a, a system called abbreviated processing, uh, because we're really coming to understand the importance of language and what we do verbally as it connects yeah. to what we feel internally. Because um, all of these parts of our brain are wiring and firing, and and but there's the verbal part of our brain too. And you know, sometimes we have people who just continuously kind of maybe re-traumatize themselves by yep. telling the story over and over and over again, um, where in fact, if we did it in an abbreviated way, we change the path by adding some movement and some relaxation, we make we can make different things happen. Yes, and this is something that you're going to hear over and over if you are if you are looking at different trauma therapies is we're talking about finding a different route for our neurology to take. Same thing with, you know, like I do EMDR and things like that. Yeah. It's all about like, yep, we know that path of re-traumatizing sometimes or, or that path that's not really helpful or connected to maybe a negative cognition. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's start to pave a new one. And again, that's where the, you know, the first time you do this, it's going to feel different or be difficult or not feel the best. But the more we practice it and the, the more we do the tapping and we do different things with it, it's going to help pave that new way of being. Mm-hmm. And pretty soon that's going to be deeper and more useful and, and more automatic than the old mm-hmm. way. Yeah. where it was more automatic more right. harmful. exactly i always yeah. tell people i can't make your thoughts go away but no. i can make them less powerful we can yes, definitely we don't take away neurology mind. yeah no <laughs> <laughs> it's that's not how it works that's mm-hmm. maybe like a brain injury but mm-hmm. we don't do that yeah. yep right <clears throat> yep but you, you have choice though and i think that mm-hmm. agency there of I do have choice in these thoughts. I do have choice in in the way that that I move forward can be so wonderful for people to kind of make that connection with of yeah. it doesn't control me. Mm-hmm. I get get to control me. Mm-hmm. Even my thoughts. Yeah, and that's where when I start with people my first weeks of therapy with people are all about um them learning uh, body calming techniques because yeah. people need evidence to face hard things. They need to trust that they can calm their bodies down, that they have the methods that they need in yeah. order to go to hard places and still be able to leave out of the therapy room feeling feeling good, feeling okay. So that's yes. where I think the um, we make sure that we have a firm foundation in uh, people's ability to body calm before we do any of the the cognitive work of therapy. Yes, and you and I have worked together so much mm-hmm. that, you know, I call that resourcing. Like, let's yeah. get our resources together. Let's pool our gifts and our strengths and, and, and really get them ready. And then if we want to do some of that trauma work or those kinds of things, we know how mm-hmm. to do that. And we can stay grounded in the room here today mm-hmm. to do that. And you do a great job with that. And I can, I can say that because I've, I know that you do. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. Just being in Terry's presence is grounding for me anyway. Thank you. <laughs> but, 
Uh, okay, so we've talked a little, we've talked a bit about some of the wonderful things that you do. Tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about how people can get in touch with you. Mm-hmm. Do you have openings? So right now, um, my main openings are going to be daytime um, mm-hmm. because I work, you know, with uh, kids that have attention issues or you know autism spectrum, and you know then all this. ADHD, or ADHD uh, anxiety, uh, I, I tend to, my afternoons tend to get booked up with, with kids and they, they have yeah. those spaces. So mostly daytime, uh, maybe a handful, you know, a couple here or there. Um, but yeah, a few openings right now, but mostly daytime and I offer both in-person and telehealth. I work uh, Monday, Tuesday, uh, Thursday in person and then Wednesday, Friday tele. This is my home office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if you do telehealth, this is what you'll see with Terry. This is what you'll see. My uh, Beatles clock and my sage and uh, my little artwork behind me. Yeah. Fantastic. You know, I think people, um, just to kind of like give people a heads up, I think that's going to be um, some of the best case scenarios when you call in to get therapy is, mm-hmm. is there any openings at all? Um, mm-hmm. And to... Um, have the expectation of getting an evening or late afternoon appointment can be really hard, especially at first. And so, you know, maybe over time things might open up for therapists, but when you first call in, I think it's, it's good to kind of have it in mind that you may need to come in during the daytime. Mm -hmm. Um, Lunch hours do tend to book up fast too, Um, but you can try. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But even to have some openings, I, you know, I just hear a lot of people are just full. So the fact Mm -hmm. that you have openings is wonderful. So shout out for Terry. If you, (laughs) if you're connecting here, please, please give a call soon because we never know when that's going to book up. Yeah. And the holidays too, we tend to really condense around the holidays uh, because if we take any time off, we're fitting in a lot of people before and after. So for me, it's probably realistic to be uh, in the next week or then after the holidays, honestly, with the way that the schedule goes and the number of people that would like to get in before the holidays. I, I like to, I want to be able to start with people and be able to see them consistently, um, weekly, uh, because building a relationship with someone, I usually start at least six weeks, um, uh, weekly sessions before skills are developed. Um, and people have any sense of comfort with more time in between. Um, so yeah, yeah, it takes some time to, to build that relationship, but usually six to eight weeks on the front end of weekly therapy is how it yeah. goes. So I like to make sure that I've, I'm able to offer that to people uh, for yeah. starting out as well. I, I do notice too, when people first come in, there's that like feeling of urgency and mm-hmm. you know they want relief. And so the best way to do that is that consistency of weekly. Yeah. Um, for some, it might be even more than that, but typically, I think we we do see weekly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. just for expectations of when whenever someone is looking to get in and and start that process, mm-hmm. um, let's talk about like accessibility payment. Do you take insurance? Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Private pay? Yep, our company <clears throat> uh, bills insurance. I'm in network with all major insurers. Uh, no EAPs, unfortunately. Right. Um, <laughs> Yes, in network, I take insurance, um, definitely have structures for sliding scale fees as well. Okay, great. And I'll link, I'll link Northwinds Counseling because that's where we're both at. I'll link that mm-hmm. in the notes below so you can uh, find Terry there. I think um, your, 
our phone number and your email is listed on there to get in contact to to schedule. Are there any other places that people can find you or, or links mm-hmm. that you want to share or resources? Um, if you uh, looked me up on Psychology Today, you'd also find me there. Uh, but okay. sometimes the, those phone numbers that are associated with us are kind of obscure. So I, uh, I, don't, I don't ever list it, but uh, put me in the search box. You'll find me <laughs> in <Okay>. Psychology Today. <laughs> Sounds good. I will go ahead and link our website and people can look Mm -hmm. that up for themselves. I'll also put a link to the ECFE um, Mm. page. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm sure it's a little bit different depending on your your district and and where you're at locally, but just maybe some main information about that. Now, mm-hmm. is there anything that you'd like to share? I know we've shared a lot, you know, with mm-hmm. tapping resources, but is there something that you'd like to share with people that you find helpful that you'd like them to know? Mm, gentle, gentle with yourself, right? Yeah. <laughs> I am, I am gentle with others because ultimately I'm very gentle with myself as well in terms of my growth and learning processes because I work so much with kids um, I'm very in tuned with uh, uh, Dan Siegel. Love all of his resources. Yes. Oh, Mindsight. Uh, let me see if I, I don't know if I've got one. I must have taken it to work. Um, the the teenage one. Um, uh, just love all of those resources. The concepts of Mindsight. The concepts yes. of interpersonal neurobiology. Uh, yes. Those are kind of foundational to my knowledge and how I work with myself and. I try to work with my kids and and how I work with the people in therapy is through the understanding of those things. So I really try to stay grounded in um, those kind of conceptual models as well. Thank you for bringing that up. I will go Mm -hmm. ahead and link Dan Siegel's stuff Mm -hmm. below. I use Whole Brain Child and there's even a workbook for for families for that one that I love. Mm -hmm. Um, Used it in my own home, use it Mm -hmm. in practice all the time. It's just Dan does a great way of presenting neurology yeah. <laughs> in a way that isn't overwhelming for parents. The yes, handy model the hand of the model. brain. Here's our amygdala, right? <laughs> yep, right in the center. <laughs> and then we just get, get disconnected. Yep. And it happens to all of us, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's yes. it's a wonderful tool to utilize. Um, so if you're looking to get started with something, I highly recommend that. Thanks for bringing mm-hmm. that to, to light. Um, now, I always ask, you know, people when they come on here if they have a question that they, you know, a fun question to be able to bring. So one of the questions mm-hmm. on there was, is there um, a, 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 a practice that you use for self-calming mm-hmm. or self-care that you'd want to share with us? Yep. I, uh, because... I have history and mindfulness and lots of body-based uh, regulation. Um, I use yoga regularly. Um, oh, so everything from the core, right? And movement from the core. And yoga is just really uh, wonderful in how the practices teach you to be with your body, notice your body, um, and, and uh, you know, stretching and movement. Also, Tai Chi is another really good one. Yeah. Just, and especially as we're aging, uh, we activating synovial fluid, doing very circular movements and things like that is just really good for our bodies. So I try to stay current with those. I, I use those things and really try to continue to integrate that into my life for my own balance and wellness. 
um, and then some uh, types of, of breathing techniques. Um, other than just you know belly breathing, there are some types of breathing techniques that really help with um, resetting our neurology in a way. Um, so I uh, utilize a, a lot of you know our other colleagues out there who really do great work with body work. So I, I pr actively practice and participate in what they offer as well. I, I do, I do too. I know that there are uh, trauma-trained yoga instructors out there, and hopefully, mm -hmm. maybe I'll get um, someone to come and be uh, a guest speaker on here for that as well, because it's a great resource. But yes, mm -hmm. I never feel as good as when I'm doing regular yoga, mm -hmm. and I think that you know you had talked about before that mind's eye yoga is yeah. great with that because you oh, really yeah. do have to pay attention so you don't maybe fall over or just, yeah <laughs> you know, when you're doing certain poses but you're really activating inside and that's such a wonderful practice to be able to regulate that's those resources up front mm -hmm. super helpful whenever I hear yeah. someone come in and say oh I do yoga on a regular basis I'm like that's awesome that's great we can use so much of that in here so and I think as we're dealing with facing the things that are trapped in our mind, trapped in our memory, the reality that memory can bring a whole body response, you know, through yes. trauma. Um, my, I always tell people, we got to keep that moving. Don't let it stop. Keep moving it through you and out of you. And uh, movement yes. and body calming really allow us to, you know, don't let it get locked up in there anywhere. Just keep it moving. So all the somatic stuff I think is really valuable for that too, and even any other our sensory processes of visualization, we can we can make it go right. I'm an artist yeah. too, so creative creativity is huge, and yeah. and so I've also been exploring ACT acceptance and commitment therapy, and yeah. I really love the extent to which uh, it helps us utilize what they call it diffusion, but I like to also call it abstraction. I like to play with the mind and help people use their, some of, once again, their dominant senses to move things through their mind and just work with it in a very different way. Another way to not let it get stuck and stay yes. in you. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I love that. And yes, I, I remember first meeting you and like walking into your office, Terry has this absolutely beautiful painting on her wall that she did herself because again, she is an artist. I will tell you that. And it's this huge neuron. Yeah. And it's so cool. I love seeing that every time I come in and see you. So oh, thanks. <laughs> so fun. Well, I hope um, that people are able to connect with you soon. Um, I, I just wanted to note, too, that we're recording here at the end of November, so just mm -hmm. so people are aware for that timeline if they're looking to get in with you. Awesome. Um, but thank you so much for joining us. And thanks for everyone who's listening today. All right, guys, this is the legal stuff, the disclaimer. The podcast is intended for educational purposes only. The information provided is not a substitute for professional therapeutic advice or counseling. Always consult with a qualified mental health professional for any personal concerns or issues. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the host and guest and do not represent the views of any affiliated institution or organization. Listener discretion is advised.